How many of you guys have ever done something for God? Good number of hands? A lot of us? What would you say if, if I said that that wasn't necessarily what God wanted? That maybe he didn't want you to do things for him? Would that surprise you? So today we're talking about mission. We're talking about mission. What does it look like to join God's mission? Or maybe a better question to start with is, what is God's mission? What does that even look like? And why does it matter? What, why is it important? We just had, we sent 12 people to Bangkok, Thailand. And we've got five more heading out there this week. We had to raise a lot of money for that. Costs a lot. There's a lot that's invested, a lot of resources, a lot of time. Is that part of God's mission? Because when we look at the resources that we're putting towards that kind of thing, we want to make sure that we're with God on this. And it's not something that we just decide that we're going to do because that would be kind of foolish. Right? So we need to weigh this a little bit. So we're talking today about something called the Missio Day. Anybody ever heard of the Missio Day? A couple people? Yeah, it's one of those fancy kind of Latin things. So, so Missio is a Latin word for sending. And day is a Latin word for God. So we have missio dei. It's talking about the mission of God, or literally the sending of God, as we see it play out in Scripture. And the key insight for us, if we want to understand God's mission, is that it starts with God. It starts with God. It's all about who God is. Because who God is informs us of what God does. His actions spring out of who he is, and mission is a part of who God is. His activity flows from his identity. So it's all about who God is, and and we're the same. Our activity, the things that we do, flow out from our identity, from who we are. The only trouble with us is that sometimes we get our identity in the wrong places. And and we get it from, from kind of false identities that that where we get our sense of worth from, everything that we get our worth from, it goes out through our actions. But mission starts with God. So if we, un- if we want to understand the Missio Dei, we need to start with God. Because mission is not an activity so much as it is an identity of who God is. It's rooted in who God is. And he's a God of mission. And we're going to see in the next several minutes that God's mission is to be in an intimate, right relationship with all things. And it's not the church that has a mission in the world. Rather, it's the God of mission that has a church in the world. And I think we get this wrong a little bit. We look at verses like Matthew twenty nineteen, the, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And we think it's all about all about us. So this is our marching orders. We've got to go and do it. But I'm going to submit that maybe that isn't quite exactly right. Maybe that's not quite right. Because it's God's mission and it starts with him. God is the primary actor and agent in carrying out redemption to the rest of the world. Would you agree with that? And he graciously invites us to participate with him. So we don't do things for God. We get to do things with God. We get to be a part of what he's doing. And probably a number of us, when we think of God's mission, uh, we start with, with the fall. We, we think of sin entering the world in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have fallen, and now God's got to come in and fix the sin problem, right? The only problem with that 
is that if, if that's how we look at it, then God's mission stops as soon as sin is defeated. And then I don't know what he does. But if we go back to the beginning of Genesis and all the way to the Revelation, we see that God's mission is bigger. It has been in existence before the fall, and it will be after when there will be no tears, death, or sorrow, or sin. So a better way to understand God's mission is to see it as the right relationship of all things. The right relationship of all things. It's a relational mission. It's relational. God moves toward us, and he relates to us, and everything else stems from that including a fully reconciled and restored relationship without sin. So we see sin enter the picture in Genesis chapter 3, right? And sin kind of messes everything up. It does. It corrupts. It screws everything up. And we just talked about this in our fight series, that it's really it's all about relationships. Sin affected relationships. The fall impacted relationships. And, and we want to fight for relationships, right? But four areas that were affected by the fall was obviously our relationship with God. Sin separates us. It separates us from God. It also it affected our relationship with ourselves. And that sounds kind of weird, but it's true. How we relate to ourselves is messed up because of sin. It affects how we relate to one another. Just go into any church, right? As much as we love each other and we want to do family and do all this stuff, like relationships are messy and our relationships to one another are messed up. Yeah, Don is shaking his head, huh? And lastly, it affected our relationship to creation and to the rest of the world. So sin comes in and it corrupts everything. And yet this is cool. Even in the middle of our sin, we see this picture of God's grace. As he, he walks through the garden, he's seeking out relationship with Adam and Eve even when they're hiding in their shame, and in their fear, which is exactly how he relates to us when we're in the middle of our sin. He still comes out to us. He calls us by name. And even as he tells Adam and Eve the consequences for their sin, he shows a picture of the gospel that one day he will defeat. He will crush the serpent's head. And this is the first promise that's recorded in Scripture. But notice that it doesn't say that I'm going to rescue you from your sin. So I'm going to destroy Satan. I'm going to destroy Satan. And so our understanding of the gospel can't just be about the forgiveness of sin. It's much bigger than that. It's also about the defeat of evil. So the mission of God is about being in right relationship with all things. Okay? And we see this play out in Scripture. Again and again. If we start in Genesis chapter 12, this is a significant chapter in Scripture where Abraham comes into the picture. And God chooses Abraham. And when he chooses Abraham, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. So God promises Abraham land. He promises him lots of descendants. But then he says, in verse 3, he says, All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And this is significant because God's mission, his rescue plan, involves selecting one person, Abraham and his family and descendants, and he selected him to participate in his mission of bringing redemption to the rest of the world. And over and over again through Scripture, we'll see this pattern. God says, I am blessing you so that you can bless others. So God's blessing is never an end in itself. It's always a means to bless 
everyone else. That's not because you're special, but it's because through you, God is going to bless others. And what we see in Scripture is that this also wasn't just a spiritual blessing. It often was a physical blessing as well. In Leviticus chapter 19, for example, in verse 9, God says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. This was supposed to be something that would bless the poor, it would bless the foreigners. As God would prosper Israel, God would also prosper. This would be a blessing for others as well. But repeatedly, what we find throughout Scripture is that this blessing that God intends for all people, it stops with Israel. It stops right there. And rather than them being a conduit to bless the world, it repeatedly stops with Israel. It ends with them. So if we were to put this into like a metaphor, we might look at the difference between a river and a pond. Where a river is flowing and it's moving and gushing and it usually empties or goes into something else like another body of water, a pond is all enclosed. And it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything And after a while, it just kind of sits there and it starts to get funky and there's little green slime and algae coming up and after you don't even want to touch it because it's disgusting, right? And this is what we see in Israel time and time again. God wanted to use them like a river to carry out his blessing to the nations, but Israel became a pond. And this continues and eventually it leads to Israel's exile. Their lack of faithfulness inhibited their ability to extend God's blessing. And as a result, they were punished through exile. But notice in Jeremiah 29.7, God says, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. These are like their enemies, Right? And pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So basically part of the punishment is God is sending them in this exile and he forces them to be a blessing even when they don't want to. It's kind of weird. But he does. And now we get to the New Testament. We get into John. Uh, John chapter 1, the incarnation. God himself in the person of Jesus Christ breaks into our world and he moves toward us. Even after we've continually shut him out, even after we've abandoned him, he comes toward us and Jesus takes on flesh and becomes one of us so that he can restore and redeem us. And this is what makes Christianity unique over all the other religions of the world. Every other religion, it's all about man trying to work their way into God's favor, work their way into heaven, work their way into the next life. It's about doing this, doing that, you've got to do this. It's work so that we can earn our way there. And I talked about Thailand last week. It's all about merit. where It's all Buddhism, and they believe in karma, and they have, to cre- they have to make merit for themselves. So they have to do enough good things so that they're positioned better in the next life. And if they don't, then in the next life when they come back, then they're coming as not so good, right? But it's all about its workspace. And this is where Christianity is so different because... God says you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do. You can't try harder. You can't do more. You can't be better. You just can't do it. He said he had to come and do it for us. He had to come and do it for us. And so we see in John 3.16, he says, For this, Jesus says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
Then notice here the objective of God's, of what he's doing here is the world. The object of God's affection is the world. God came to the world and he didn't just come for a specific group of people. He didn't just come for the church, but he came for the world. And so when we talk about mission, we're talking about joining God's work in the world. Now the church obviously is a part of that. We want to participate in this mission. But his mission extends to the world, and we have a role in participating in that. We are not an end in ourselves. And yet for over a thousand years, the paradigm, the model for the church has been Christendom. You know what that means? Basically, Christendom started when the Roman Emperor Constantine, uh, he converted to Christianity around 313 AD or so. And around the time that he converted, the persecution of Christians stopped. There's lots of widespread persecution throughout this time, but once this kind of time happened, it stopped. And Constantine endowed the church with land and wealth, and he used his power to apply pressure for, for people to convert to Christianity. And so when this happened, Christianity was fundamentally changed because it came wrapped up in the state's power. And it's kind of been the model ever since there. And, and to be honest, when I hear people say things like, you know, we're going to get our country back, that kind of smacks at the same kind of idea. Because God's kingdom is one of love. It's not one of power. So just a little side note there. But the belief at the center of the Christendom paradigm was that God established his church in the world so that the church can do things for God. And they went off and they did all kinds of, of crazy stuff in God's name. But missional would say that God has a mission toward the world and the church has a role in participating in his mission. It's not separate. So we don't just do things for God. We get to participate with him. We get to do it with him. And this is a really significant distinction. And it has implications for us because if we're honest, a lot of the Western church is kind of like a Jesus Walmart. Right? Like, what kind of programs do you have for me? What can I get out of it? What do you got for my family? And it's all about what I can get. It's all about me. And, and there's this divide kind of between like the, the professional pastor or vocational missionary and the, the congregation. Like, but, you know, this is how we do church in, in our culture, and I get that, but I don't think that's really what God intended. There wasn't like the, the one pastor or two pastors that were supposed to guide all this flock. It was more holistic. And what we've done then is we've made it all about what the church or what the pastors can provide for the congregation, and then the people just come and they get what they want, and when they're not happy with it, they find something in the next church, and then they go, okay, well, you can serve me for a while until I find something better. And that's not how God intended it. And the, the idea with that is if, if church is just about programs and what I can get, like we're missing a big part of God's mission. We're missing a big part of what he wants to do because it's not just about us and what we can get, but it's about his mission to the world. God is at work beyond what we're trying to do for him. And we want to work with God, participating in the work that he's doing. And just like Jesus, we don't want to be pulling out of the world. We want to press into it. We want to press into the world. So on through scripture, we get into Acts. In Acts chapter 1, we read about Jesus ascending into heaven. But before he does this, he tells his disciples something really important. And I think this is critical to understand in the context of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. 
Because the way that the evangelical church that we are part of typically narrates this kind of thing is that Jesus has given us our marching orders. Now we're supposed to go out and do it. You know what you're supposed to do. Just go out and do it. And a lot of times this is couched in guilt and shame. Like you're not doing enough. You need to work more. You need to try harder. You need to get more serious about this. People are dying. What's wrong with you? And it's all about us trying to get out there and do more and try harder. And so the paradigm is our mandate is clear. We just need to get out there and go make disciples for God. And so it's important for us to look at the two passages, Matthew 28 and Acts. So Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples. And then we also like to look at Acts 1.8. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But if you back up to verses 4 and 5, we hear this command from Jesus. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in the same context that Jesus says to go and make disciples, he also says don't do anything. Wait. Wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, it's, it's God's job to make disciples. It's God's job to make disciples. We just get to take a part in that. So the Great Commission clarifies what our participation should look like. It's not something we do for God. We get to do it with God. And our job isn't just to go out and, and make disciples, but it's to join Jesus as he calls disciples. You get the little difference there? It's with him. And God is always working. Jesus says in John 5, 17, he says, My Father is always working, and so am I. In, in verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. And this is a really significant shift because over and over in the Missio Dei, we clearly see God as a primary actor and agent when it comes to redeeming the world, and we're not. So this continues to play out in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, God pours out his spirit on the church, right? In Acts 7 and 8, God spreads his church through persecution. Persecution happens. The church has to spread out. And then this curious thing happens in Acts chapter 10 and 11 where we see a man named Cornelius, a Gentile. And he invites Peter, and then God pours out his spirit on the Gentiles. And then it causes all this confusion, like, what's going on? They don't know what to do. Like, what does this mean? And then so we get to Acts chapter 15, and, and they, they start to sort it out. And then they conclude that the Gentiles are actually part of God's plan. Because we're not supposed to be a pond. We're supposed to be a river. Right? So there's supposed to be a river, and then it keeps going and going. And all of this is happening through the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus, as God is restoring and redeeming all things to himself through this person of Jesus Christ. So the Missio Dei uses a lot of scent language. You'll hear a lot of scent language. Like last week we sent the Thai team to Thailand. But you'll see things like, like Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we see that the church sent out Paul and Silas to different places. It, there's a lot of scent language. But to bring things full circle in Revelation 20 and 21, we see heaven coming down to earth. It's a new heaven and a new earth. So, so we don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to us. So it's not like a disembodied experience where we just kind of hang around and, and like we're in another world. But the scripture version is that heaven, of heaven is at this world. 
the one that we're living in right now will be made new. So somewhere else comes here. So when we think about the Missio Dei, God's mission of being in right relationship with all things, there's two big, two big ideas. And we've hit on them. God is a primary actor in the story of Scripture. He is the one who is accomplishing his work. It's not us. It's about him and what he's doing. We just, the second point, he invites us to participate with him. We get to do this with him. It's his mission. And this is very different than putting the Great Commission at the top and then telling the story of Scripture through that. Because the reality is God is always at the top. He's always at the top. He is the ultimate reality. He's a great I am. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and omega. Everything ends and starts with God. And it's all about who he is. So at the heart of this idea is we start with God and we end with God. And the, the work is his. We get to become laborers with him. But God doesn't abandon us to do this work on our own. He doesn't abandon us to do this work on our own. And sometimes we get into that way like we think we're, it's all about us, what we got to do. And, and we miss that God is in there. This is his work and we're just, we're participating. David Platt said this. He said, I am convinced more than ever that the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the glory of God in the world today is the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. That is a mouthful. But it's very true when, when, when you look at, at this. And, and Chris Lunty, he was here last week, shared with us for about 10, 15 minutes, and I appreciate his heart and the work he's doing in Bangkok and the idea of wanting to disciple these men and even minister to them on the streets in, in the red light district. Uh, but he posted on Facebook just a couple days ago, I saw this, and it's by some guy named Victor Lee, who I should probably know who it is, but I don't. But he said, Beware your routine of Christianity, lest it become a religious exercise, void of God's power, enabled only by human effort. So in order to walk in the power of the Spirit of God, we need to be on mission with God. And what does that look like? We'll put some more feet to that next week, I think. But, but in, in my home group, where we've been meeting over the, the summer, um, it's been interesting because we, we're starting to develop and, and gain a greater understanding of the gospel. Because the gospel isn't just the plan of salvation. We've kind of narrowed it down and condensed it into just a plan of salvation, but the gospel is so much bigger than that. And, and we're learning how to contextualize it so that it meets people where they're, where they're at, where they're really at. Because... There's kind of an interesting generational divide. Or like the baby boomers and maybe even my generation, like Gen X, like we had like evangelism explosion and you know the four spiritual laws and all this kinds of stuff as tools to evangelize. And the millennial generation is like, what is this? Like, this is just insincere. You're just trying to like make a sale and get something done. And so they push like way back from that. And so I have millennials who want to share their faith. And they want their friends to know about Jesus, but they don't know how to shift the conversation to all of a sudden, like, or do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? Like, how do I get from here to there? And then so it's this hard thing. We're learning how to contextualize the gospel because the gospel isn't just about when we die. It's about the here and now. It's right here. God has an answer for you right here. 
And it's been really cool to see some of this stuff. Because it, and here's where it gets tricky, because the reality is it's, it's easier to memorize a script and to know what to say to people in a lot of ways. And being with God, participating with him, like it involves us actually being present to him. And we have to actually listen to people as they're talking. We have to listen. That's hard. Like we have to listen into their heart and what's going on in there and then be present to God as he's trying to like work and do his thing so we can be present to what he's doing. I can't just like think in my, like what's the next line of the script and just go right there. It's very different. But it's also freeing because it is so good because God is working and we're just participating. It's not up to me. And again, when it, it comes down to all of this, it's about relationship. It's about connection. God wants to relate to us. He doesn't want us just to go off and do these things without him. He wants to be present. He's, this is his thing. You know what I mean? And when we participate in God's work, it forces us to be in a relationship with him. It, it requires us to depend on him for our next steps. And the reality is, if, if, if he told us like, what we would be doing or where we would be 10 to 20 years from now, some of us would like, freak out and say, no way, I ain't going to do it, right? And then there's others of us that might just say, okay, good, I'll just, I have to do this and this and that. Leave God completely out of it. But he wants us to depend on him. So he gives us like one step at a time, which is really frustrating sometimes. But I think the nature of it is just because he wants to connect with us. He wants this relationship. And it forces us to, to be present to him in the moment as he speaks to us and teaches us and builds us, giving us the character to do what he wants to do both in us and through us. Sometimes we're so focused on what we do and what we can do that we miss God's work in us, which is what he's really trying to do, working in us so that we can bless other people. Make sense? All right, so here's your homework. Here's your homework. I made sermon notes so you could take this home. And our internet went down Friday morning when we were praying together. Like, there was nothing there. It wouldn't come on Friday. I tried to get all the yesterday I was here. And, and now it's up, at least sort of. But, well... Sort of, I guess. But the printer isn't working, so I couldn't print anything out. And So this is your homework, though. This kind of a rabbit trail. I want you to create some space with God. Create some space with God this week. And I'm not talking about like six hours. I'm not talking about four hours. But just create some dedicated space where you can just be present to God, not doing anything, not like where you have to read your Bible or anything like that, but just be present and open to him. Believing that God wants to speak to us. Because he does. God wants to speak to us. And that's going to be really hard for some of us because we're not used to it and we think we have to be reading or doing something. And it's going to be really hard. And as we do this and it's quiet, our minds are going to start to wander and all this stuff is going to happen and we're going to start checking off our list. Oh, I have to do this later because I think the enemy comes in when this kind of thing happens and just bombards us with stuff. But try to create some space with God this week. Have a posture of openness expecting that God wants to speak to you because he does. And then I want you to answer three questions. 
as you're in this posture of openness to God and trying to hear him and be honest. Number one, the first two should be easy. Number one, am I a pond or am I a river? Am I a pond or am I a river? And be honest. God loves us so much that he meets us where we really are. And that's pretty cool. And I can say that most of my life, there's a, a large way that I've been a pond. Even the things I'm doing in the church, it's all like inward-based. It's all in here. And God is like opening up my mind to get out and to actually be a river. And we're all in different places. But answer the question, am I a pond or a river? Two, do I want to participate in God's mission? Do I want to? Or would I rather just do things for him rather than doing things with him? Because there's a big difference on that. And we have to be honest about where we're at. Like, do I really want to do this? Because I might just be happy checking things off. I read my Bible. I went to church. Check, check. And that's okay. And that's okay. But we, we need to know that we're, we, where we really are. Do, do I want to do this? And lastly, this one might take a little bit of time. But if the answer to the second question is yes, then where do I see God working? And how can I join what he is doing? Where do I see him working and how can I join in what he is doing? And this might take some time. And that's okay. All right? So next week we have a special guest speaker coming in and he's going to put a little more feet to that last part. Joining God in his work. But his name is Mac McCarthy. And a lot of you don't know this, but Pastor John and I have been in a discipleship group for the past year. And Mac has actually been leading this group. And it's been really cool in so many ways. I did not realize how much Christian logic thought I really had where I knew all of this stuff in my head and I had no idea I wasn't really believing it or living it out. And this really, it forced me to really evaluate myself, become self-aware and be present to what God really wants to do in my life. It's not just about knowing things, but it's completely different. So I'm excited for him to come next week and share with you. Um, he, he's young. I think he's younger than I am. But he, he's, he's great. But he's going to put some feet to this next week. So I'd encourage you to come back. And yeah, how about, how about we pray before we go on to some other? Sounds cool. I have